inwards and doing it via via the body because I really believe that as humans we can do stuff that that angels can't that these other beings can't that there's something that is so precious of why there are humans on this planet why earth was created partially in the first place was what might happen if the awareness of unity can exist in form what can happen when that awareness that consciousness is in the most beautiful planet that we could possibly imagine how might that come together and live and imagine imagine what that will do for the entire galaxy of a planet with a consciousness of unity existing in this space with with loving humans and I really believe that the invitation of the Queen archetype is for all of us to develop that deep innate sense of of feminine sovereignty which is at one with the land in recognition of self and connected with with beloved and with the sense of the beloved in everything you got to accentuate the positive wow, I feel good you're listening to Karen Swain, teacher of deliberate creation, accentuating the positive, showing you a way to a better life. Accentuating the positive, it's not just fad, it's sanity. Who in their right mind would accentuate anything else? Hello and welcome to another show, Accentuating the Positive with Karen Swain. <laughs> I think I'm going to sing that every time now. I love that. It's an old, it's an old uh, church song from the 30s. Actually, accentuate the positive. It's a thankful thing in a church. Have you heard of it? It's an old church. Anyway. Accentuate the positive. And I can't remember the rest, but I remember learning it years ago. Negative and don't mess with Mister in between. Anyway, yes. <laughs> Great to be with you all for another show. As I said, accentuate the positive. We're going to go, we're going to go into archetypes today with the gorgeous and delicious. I know I call everyone delicious, Jackie Bushel. Welcome to the show, Jackie. Oh, thank you. It is just a delight to be here with you, Karen. Thank you for the invitation. So I met Jackie in Broken Hill. How many? God, it was a month or two ago. I can't even like. When was it? September. Where are we? November. <laughs> Time's just really doing it. Two weeks ago, a while back, and uh, when I was out there doing the uh, drumming sacred Pele drumming workshop, making a hand drum, and uh, Jackie was out there helping us all and enlightening us all and. Cooking, also cooking for all with your partner in bliss, Jane Elworthy. And, um, yeah, so Jackie and I had some great conversations and I've met so many people in Sydney who are like, oh, my God, Jackie's my teacher. Oh, my God, Jackie, 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 that have been raving about you. So I've got to get you on the show, honey, and have that. Continue that conversation that we had in Broken Hill. For those people that are watching on video, you can see a bit of the beautiful land behind me. Jackie sent me this photograph of the red earth and the green brush and the blue sky that you get out in the outback of Australia. So good to be with you again, honey. Oh, 
Good to see you. That was a great conversation that we started because it was right about when the Queen died. Uh, so that just led it into all sorts of interesting directions. So I am really curious to see where we might spiral to today. Exactly, exactly. And and you were talking about the archetype because I had just before I went out there, I had been watching the whole drama unfolding on television of the Queen's uh, leaving the planet and watching it and I had my thoughts about it and yeah then we continued the conversation which we will today we'll go into what it all means collectively personally uh, and for the planet let me tell you a little bit about Jackie so Jackie Bushel has been dancing with the mystic imagination for much of her life through her love of the wisdom held in fairy tales and her work as a spiritual herbalist, listening for the voices and stories in the land. She is passionate about encouraging others to explore their own mythology at the borderlands of the psyche, body, culture and landscape. Jackie is a writer and speaker who guides people to awaken their creative soul essence through connecting with them mysteries of the earth story and their own sacred nature she bridges a broad range of skills from plant spirit alchemy energetic healing history and myth embodiment practices and journey work to inspire transformational shifts in the way people see themselves and the world around them jackie weaves together folklore spirituality and the nature in empowering ways to facilitate harmonious connections with the earth or with each other and the earth. She's been facilitating women's circles and ceremonies, retreats and workshops and courses in Australia and internationally for over 30 years. Her work is always empowering, inviting you to come home to a deep sense of belonging and kinship with nature. So for the moment, the website is under construction. <laughs> And we'll be hopefully live again in January 2023. But the website is sacredpresence.com.au. But if you want to connect with Jackie, um, before that, you can find her on her Facebook page under Jackie Bushel. Jackie spelt J-A-C-Q-U-I, Bushel, or on Instagram at Jackie Bushel underscore, at Jackie underscore Bushel underscore sacred presence. <laughs> Thank you. So before we get into the archetypes, how did you get that connection with the sacred voice and the mysteries of the land? Actually, I think growing up as a, a very nerdy, unsocialized child where my best friend was a peppercorn tree um, to which I would traipse up um, numerous books whenever I could and stay up there all day with um, food and sandwiches and apples and books and occasionally a dog. Um, so a fair bit of my, my early life was, was spent ensconced on, on branches and coming home covered in resin. And uh, it, it taught me that friends aren't always, don't always have two legs and that friends can have leaves and, and feathers and hair and paws and claws. So uh, I think in, initially nature was a refuge for me. And then when I started studying herbalism, 
and started creating essences. I've been making flower and rock and land essences for about 30 years. So that started teaching me about, uh, I guess, about kinship, about coming into relationship in a different way as a land. Because I started off learning about plants as a herbalist, as this is what this plant does and this is its medicine. So I had a, a very thank you very much and I'll use this herb in that way. And then I realized that, we don't actually just use herbs, we're communicating with them. And that there's always this ongoing communication with, with everything around us. So I, I suddenly realized that I was steeped within a, within a living communicating mandala, uh, instead of just like, like, I guess, sort of walking through something. I, it came to life for me in a way that it hadn't before. And I realized that that gave me a deep sense of belonging and a core sense of, of self as part of, and uh, as part of, no, as participating within this. And also the way that the land is also participating in me. That, that was sort of something that's really only dropped in in maybe the last decade or so is learning more about how I am touched and danced with and, uh, and communicated with. Beautiful. Absolutely beautiful. It's interesting that you you found so much inspiration through herbs, through learning about herbs. When I was learning about them when I was in my early 20s, we had to learn all the botanical names of everything and it just did my head in. So I totally walked away from learning about herbs because of the whole, you know, you've got to get all the botanical names right. And I was thinking, oh, because that, that's not the way I sort of operate, you know, from that, you know, remembering yes. people's names. I can hardly remember anyone's name as it is, let alone the botanical. <laughs> <laughs> and it means you don't know the plant. Uh, I get right. so many Herbie students saying, well, when would I use, I want to put, help put someone, get them to sleep. Do I use valerian or passionflower? I was like, well, they're totally different herbs. They're, like, you don't, you don't know them. But when you memorize a list of actions, 25 different herbs can fit into those actions. But every herb, it's like a, a different being. Yeah, exactly. It's a different being, a different feeling. It's got to be an intuitive thing. It just has to be. I think our education has to change from memorizing actions and names and labels to feeling into feeling how it, yeah, how it resonates with you. And and yeah, yes. communicating with the being within it, like the essence yes. of the, yeah, absolutely. And its relationship with the land. Actually, there's this great quote from Carolyn Casey, who's a fabulous trickster astrologer woman. She said, animism, not a philosophy, it's just good manners. <laughs> animism is just good manners. Same thing with, with herbs. It's just good manners to know who they are and who you're working with. It's like I want to know who's in my dispensary. And, yeah. Uh, and it, it's about building a rapport and this sense of reciprocity with them. Yeah, exactly. We were having this discussion yeah. in the Inner Sanctum. Uh, one of my friends, David, was saying, well, we were talking about this with somebody. It might have been with Jane, actually. It was probably with Jane. And um, we were talking about, you know, uh, like when you go into nature, like talking to nature, like, like hello, like you're walking into somebody's house. We don't think about that or or entering the ocean, like permission to enter the ocean. Thank you for, you know, receiving me and like having that yes. open communication with nature all the time, not just trampling all over her and expecting everyone to be okay about it. Yes, it's an anthropocentric sense of entitlement. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm. Exactly, exactly. 
So um, is there anything else you'd like to share about your journey? Because I love hearing about people's journeys. <laughs> oh, yeah, I think you'd need to ask me a specific question. Well, I know that you girls have, you know, during COVID, you moved out to Broken Hill because you were living, yes. you were living in the city and then you moved out to the Blue Mountains. And so you kept getting further and further out. How, <laughs> yes. How's that? And now you're out at Broken Hill. For people that don't know Broken Hill, I've discussed it quite a lot on the show, especially after I came back from there. It's where all the Mad Max movies were made. And uh, there's a lot of, I could, there's a lot of move, Australian movies that are made out there. And uh, Priscilla, Queen of the Desert movie was made out there a million years ago one of my girlfriends worked on it so it's been put on the map because of yes. Hollywood movies but it's a quite eclectic town do you want to it is iconic and quirky it's rough as guts mining town on one hand it's full of arts um it's artists and writers it, there's the most incredible light here uh there's a, a gathering of uh, a I was just commenting to Jane, we've met so many people who say, I've just moved back to or moved to Broken Hill and God, I love this town. There's something in here about the, for me, it's the psychic spaciousness and the, the lack of EMF and things that are sort of crowding on you. So it's uh, like this, this open-ended, oh, I can just expand into this and relax every part of my being. And it's quirky and individual and enough and big enough to have a lot of interesting people around, as well as walking straight out into what you've got behind you and into so many wildflowers and into this dance of light. So I feel coming out here and after being so familiar with all the plants of coastal New South Wales for so long, I feel like I'm a brand new apprentice again and that I'm apprenticed to the, the, the winds out here and the, the plants that are, are growing here. So I've got a very big beginner's hat on out here. No, I don't think you're a beginner. <laughs> I think that you've been doing this for lifetimes and lifetimes and lifetimes. It's a brand but, new conversation. With, brand new conversation. But what's interesting is because I don't know the plants here, I can't just look at you immediately and say, oh, eucalyptus globulata. I, I, I don't know the names of them. So with that lack of familiarity, it means that I'm really open in a way to seeing them for what they actually are because there isn't a frame of reference. Uh, like we've had a relationship with the city here for about, uh, for me for about a decade and Jane for, for longer with coming here and, uh, and connecting with the energy lines because there's a key ley line that passes through uh, Broken Hill out to Matawinji um, and then goes uh, to the Flinders Ranges in one direction and to the other direction to Yurunga just below Coffs Harbour. So we've been connecting in with that line um, in, in a number of different ways. Um, but there's uh, this freshness in how I'm seeing things. So it's a way of taking off blinkers and seeing a little more perhaps of what's true before I have the names. Exactly. Yeah. So let's get into what's been happening globally in our mm. world because uh, as we said before, when I came out there, it was just after the Queen had left her body and we were having such a great conversation about what that means archetypically um yeah. there was um there was a moment when I was watching all the fanfare on television and enjoying it and then I, ha I hit this thought it's all got to go 
It's like it's all yesterday's news. It's not where we're heading. This this whole hierarchical. Anyway, what are your thoughts about it? I've got a whole range of of thoughts because on on one hand, I've been fascinated by watching people's response to the monarchy, and part of me is like, what the hell? And and another part of me has has been watching the ah, this is what it's representing on that deeper archetypal level. This is what Elizabeth was anchoring here on the earth plane as an an iconic archetype of queen in many facets of it. Uh, She was, well, on one hand, she was anchoring and consolidating and witnessing the breakdown uh, of colonialism and imperialism, like when she actually took over the throne, one of the things that is so queenish is she said, I am devoted to your service. I'm devoted to the service of my people and our imperial family. And I mean, apart from the incredible harm that was caused by the uh, development of the so-called imperial family, uh, there's this sense of I realized what's coming through is a sense of unification. So there was one figurehead, uh, a woman who stood for steadfastness and duty and devotion, who generated a lot of respect for her dignity and her poise. And she represented unity through however many prime ministers that she saw. So there's a sense of here is something, an energy, a a being who is above the politics, who stands for something greater. So I'm very curious that this figurehead who held the reins literally um, for 70 odd years is now gone. So there's this archetypal energy that has gone from the world and for being held stable for so long. I'm curious what kind of chaos will ensue with that because she held the reins of very uh, challenging aspects of Queen, of that that English stiff upper lip, we won't express anything, um, and that we'll hold in our emotions and uh, all, all of that. And we hold this sense of conservative nationhood and familyhood. So those incredibly conservative values on one hand. And yet we also had a demonstration on another level of, I'll just digress slightly, of watching a woman, a queen. So there's something that comes in with queendom. Um, as well as her humanity, going from maiden to mother to elder. We watched her development over that time. So we had this living representation of changing stages and also in the way she held her, I guess you'd say, whether we liked it or not, her dignity throughout the chaos of, Jesus, hell, I've got a very, very human family. Look what my son's doing. Look who he's married. Um, look what my other son is doing. Oh, goddess. Um, <laughs> my daughter's divorced. So <laughs> Harry's run off. Um, so she's she's managed to find a way of navigating this incredible range of scandals, um, which utterly humanizes this the mystique of the royal family and brings them down to the ground. And yet she still held this atmosphere of elevation. There was still something that said, I am queen archetype. Uh, 
that kept her aloof from the masses. I don't believe the same is true for the rest of her family, but there was something that she brought in and held that is now shifted and gone um, from the planet. Uh, and I was thinking as well at the same time that we also had with the death of Diana, we had the end of the last fairy tale princess and that archetype of uh, maiden can marry and catch the prince. Whoops. Oh, what happens to the heavy, happy ever after story? She shattered that uh, old metaphor. Not that it was true anyway. It was only true in modern fairy tales, but the, the old fairy tales were always a lot more earthy and sensual and raw and um, not quite so um, gender stereotypical in some ways. But the the... the I'll just digress for fairy tales for a second as well, but the, the more modern fairy tales from the 1600s onwards were very much about anchoring and upholding um, a Christian morality and particularly what women should or shouldn't do. But there were still the archetypal energies that move through them so that when we connect with fairy tales, they're anchoring like codes, uh, shamanic patterns of um, uh, of different archetypal energies as well as relationship with nature. All those talking mice, talking birds, uh, there's, they bring us into nature, they bring us into the mythic. And I still believe that there was something about that uh, iconic archetype that, that Elizabeth held that can still tap us into the mythic as well as that negative aspect of fairy tales of reinforcing the status quo. So there's something that is gone of that old way, of that old way of very conservative, gender stereotypical, um, politically atrocious um, ways of being that is now has an opportunity to dismantle. So I think it's a really exciting time that she's gone with all respect to, I guess, queendom but um <laughs> i'm not a monarchist i'm sort of interested in watching how does one family get elevated and this concept of bloodline and this concept of the crown as an authority mm -hmm. and what happens when you get anointed i mean doesn't that just track into some of the most delicious histo um, uh, mythical stories of what happens with a sacred anointing and this whole idea that if you're a king or a queen you get anointed with holy oil and bingo, you are God's voice on earth and you have a God anointed, appointed right to do whatever you have. I mean, that's just, has been there since yeah. the dawn of kingship. But it's interesting what there might be that is uh, very ancient within that of the anointing and oh, here you are, divine. Yeah, it doesn't speak to unity and equality at all, does it? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, it doesn't. But if we take that back to Gnostic and even earlier origins of that true nature of an anointing, like what Magdalene did with Christ, it's that acknowledgement of you are divine in every cell. And like exactly. what they were teaching is how do we recognize that in ourself? It's, it's purely direct gnosis of honoring. I was thinking about this holiness. actually, I think it was after our conversation. I think it was after I came back, I think, <laughs> but thinking about we're all souls, you know, we all have an opportunity to experience life on planet earth in any way we choose. 
But because of our circumstances and conditioning, we don't all experience uh, that connection to uh, just what you're saying, that anointing, that connection to our divinity. And what if you took every human being that was ever born on this planet and you worshipped them, worshipped them, and told them how amazing they are, like you would a queen. Like imagine a child when they're born into a royal family, they're told about how you're royal, you're, you know, you're this, you're that. like they're given all this positive affirmation, and they're educated, and you know, think about the conditioning. What if you said that to every human being? Because I watch the people waving flags and waving at the queen and stuff like that with their different dialects and accents and think about all their backgrounds you know factory workers and just yeah imagine if every human being was told that they were as magnificent as a royal and wouldn't that be amazing wouldn't that be incredible (laughs) and wouldn't it be incredible as well that because what goes along with royal is you have a duty you have a duty to this land and uh, I mean, that can also come with the sense of entitlement, um, but you have a duty as well and a duty of care. Mm-hmm. And imagine if that got instilled as well as, oh, my exactly. goodness, you are the most glorious being on this sun. I love you. And, oh, yes. Look how exactly how beautiful and radiant and intelligent and gorgeously loving you are. Imagine growing up with that kind of embrace. Exactly. Imagine. Wouldn't we fulfill our 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 divine blueprint. Mm. Yeah, wouldn't we fulfill our divine blueprint? But what you were saying about um the archetype of the princess and the fairies, the fairy stories, you know, Cinderella is really that archety- that archetypical princess story and yet you know the the, you desire for the handsome prince somebody with status and money to come and sweep you away and you live happily ever after but yet there's so much wisdom involved in that um story that cinderella story it's a it's a story about how law of attraction works sure the desire of the woman the Cinderella character is to be swept away by her handsome prince, which is not every girl's desire. But the way she creates that, as you said, she talks to the animals, she talks to the mice and the birds. She's in horrendous circumstances with awful people being nasty to her and treating her like a slave. And yet she's still happy because she has her communication and connection with the land and the animals and her friends, even though she has no human friends, her friends are the the animals and the mice. And so she maintains her connection to source or her bliss or happiness through that connection, which is what we're talking about today. And hence her desire becomes manifest because she's aligned with the desire, the fairy godmother being, I suppose, law of attraction, if you like, you know, yes. life bringing her all that she could desire. I think it's an yes. amazing story. It's a really, really rich story, that one. Um mm. It's interesting you, you you bring that up. One in the early versions of that, actually in a couple of the early versions, there's one where she kills the first nasty stepmother and then she gets an even worse one oh. and she realises that, okay, maybe murder's not the best option here. I'd better learn another way. I know about that version. I, that was, I love that one. It's like, whoops, okay, bugger. <laughs> the easy option isn't always the, the best. And in a, um, a lot of the other, the older European ones, she, her mother dies and she grieves for her mother. 
dad says, I'll give you a gift, you know, what do you want? And she says, the first twig of the first tree you see when you're out riding this morning, he brings her back a hazel twig, she puts it in the ground and her weeping for her mother means that the hazel tree grows and it speaks to her. So there's this whole link with the mother's love that continues and rises up through the land. I mean, earth mother metaphor there. And the other thing that ties in with it is um, around, because uh, she's covered in ashes, she's black. So there's also an underground link with the black Madonnas and some of those older uh, spiritual mysteries as well of direct knowing. And in order for a prince to become a king, he has to meet and to be, or to be chosen in a way by uh, the queen of the land. So he cannot become king until uh, she, this one, can say, yes, I choose you. So he has to actually try and find her and track her and to um, find this one who may permit him to be her consort. So uh, it, it sort of ties back to old um, Celtic lore as well or uh, a lot of the older traditions where it was the queen who was the one who was the sovereign of the land always and that she would pick the king uh, or who would be king if he was worthy and if he displeased her then she'd get another one but he could only rule through her through uh, through her consent so it, it's sort of interesting how it, it there's often these really older echoes that tie through the tales and I still feel that when we hear them, like you're describing and drawing out the richness of the law of attraction and the, um, the, that grace in, in a greater community and how do we find ourselves through endurance and perseverance and really tough stuff? How do we find ourselves when we're being humiliated? How do we not succumb to shame? I mean, even in the modern version of Cinderella, like you're describing, there's so much, so much richness. Mm. And the path of becoming a, a queen. Uh, I mean, how do you go from being the cinder girl and dumped on everywhere to find that level of authority mm. and inner knowing and strength and have that level of core and backbone with a hazel tree at your back mm. to be able to go, yes, I am queen. Listen to me and oh, hold so that. From, from the cinder girl to the queen. Yeah, that's yeah, that's the journey, isn't it, of cleaning up the conditioned programming that happens. You're not enough. You're not good enough. You know, you have to be successful because you're not okay as you are. You're like, you're not a queen. <laughs> you're the cinder girl. Yeah, exactly. Yes, exactly. Um, and, and you were saying, I remember you were saying when we were out in Broken Hill that there really hasn't been that archetypical princess since Diana. Like there are princesses out there. What's the one, the Australian one that married the prince? Oh, Mary. Um, Mary. Denmark. 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 Yes. And, uh, and then there's, you know, Catherine who married Prince William. But there hasn't been the same fuss made about them in the media as Princess Diana. She captured people, you know, she captured the media, she captured everyone and the outpouring of grief over her death. There really hasn't yes. been, she hasn't, there hasn't been someone that's held that station like she did. And sure. yet that same, that same story unfolded. It wasn't the princess Wonderland story. It was the human story in the role of a princess, depression and, um, you know, a breakdown of a marriage and adultery. And like, it was the human story inside this Yes. It's amazing, really, wasn't it? It is. And, and something bigger as well. There was something in 
the joy that she seemed to um, effuse, sort of effuse or infuse everything with, and there was a, a, an immense compassion. So I, I really feel there was something about that incredible naive innocence. We saw a Persephone story unfold. It wasn't meant to be a Persephone story. She was sort of meant to stay up in the summer lands. So this incredible innocent suddenly thrust into the belly of the underworld and the shadow and watching how she came through that. So there was an immense gift in the world of watching her mature that I feel just touched so many people of our own underworld journeys and what it is that gets us that gets us through and then for that that myth that legend that icon to suddenly be gone um yeah we didn't get to see the full maturing of her yeah yeah it's interesting yeah you know the story of what did get her through ultimately was her devotion to serving people to serving like she thrust herself into service um i think there was one of her interviews where she said somebody's just got to go out there and love people oh, oh makes me God. cry <laughs> oh, but yes. I mean, you know because it was all about her you know her family and her happiness and mm. and her husband and having an affair with somebody else you know the whole story and the depression was all about me 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 poor me poor me I'm rich and I'm famous and everybody loves me but I'm so depressed because all I can think about is what's going wrong in my world and her ultimate sort of um, delivery into into or out of depression was like stop got to stop thinking about me and get out there and make yes. a difference got to a make great a way of framing it yes yeah. yeah yeah so her devotion to the service like got her out of that yeah that depression and and um bulimia and yeah anyway it's all out there on television the crown yes. netflix all out there yes so what do you think this means with the uh, archetypical queen energy that it's left the planet what do you think it means for mm. humanity now yeah, I mean you said chaos mm. what are you feeling about Charles taking the reins bringing in the energy of, of a king um, I think it's really very soon to a bit too soon to say we've got a sense of Charles as prince and not a sense of him as steadfast authority I think there'll be a lot of watching of him uh and i don't think he'll he'll hold that level of power as a historical authoritarian king i think some of the mystique has gone because we know so much of his story and it's being broadcast again around the world that there's a, a change in the mystique of kingship so i I really believe that there's, there's, there will be something that that fills the void, that of of what that mon that role of the monarchy has provided. Whether that will then devolve to, uh, to William and and Kate, that level of of power, um, and respect. I I don't know, but it really gives us an opportunity to reflect on. Why are we as a culture so, what is it in us that we are so needy to have these icon this iconic, super rich, conservative family wearing posh, outrageously expensive clothes uh, that 
everybody wants to gossip about them and yet there's there's a sense of ownership of them they've got to behave in the right way um we're proud of them uh it seems to be the general feeling that comes through but they've got to kind of got to do what we want them to do um there's these really mixed messages what is it in us as a culture that that we want that iconic figurehead and that's been my big question and I'm wondering if there's something that harks back to a much older memory, a memory in our bones of what it was like when the star beings came down, those ones like the Egyptian longheads, those ones when the, the, the very, I mean, there's been so many different star beings that were here or in the long ago days when some of those uh, more fifth dimensional Lemurians were um, mingling with humans and creating the, those um, extraordinary hybrid beings. I think there's something in our makeup that has a memory of these beings coming in and teaching us and the sense of, of bloodline that carries through there. And then of course, when it was really reinforced, when the Nephilim and the reptilians were, um, were creating breeding programs and creating bloodlines, but also that, that dominance um, that they were instilling within us and of, okay, all reverence and um, uh, we've got to make sure they don't hurt us. Um, and, the power that they had so what do you think about that idea of that that sense of of blood or bone memory of when these ones did did teach us um and coming actually i remember just a, a quick, another quick digression i remember having a, a past life memory come up and it was a very clear sense of myself as um uh, an egyptian or maybe some type of priestess and we were all instilled in the ritual that we would have to do at a certain time of year year after year after year in preparation for the ones who descended to come and they would only come once every hundred or few hundred years but we had to do the ritual in case they came and uh and i could see how the ritual became religion and became enshrined even when the ones who would descend stopped coming yes 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 what do i think of that i think that those beings like any avatar or any master that walked the earth came to teach and not to be worshipped and somehow it got really, really distorted. <laughs> yes. And now in the collective unconscious, we are conditioned to worship. We worship politicians and singers and actors and and we keep making them outside of ourselves as something better, something greater, you know, royalty, you know, something more than who we are. And yet two on 2000 years later the teacher known as jesus said you can do all as i have done and more and that message seems to have been lost really yes. lost along the way and yes. uh, we're at a time now we need to take back that majesty and reverence and understanding that those beings be it the star beings or the rock star or the jesus's or the gurus are us like we're all one we're all yes. the same yeah but our collective unconscious or our society doesn't, hasn't, hasn't up until now made room for that because it's been so steeped in hierarchy. Yeah. Yes. Yes. How and do we that, unravel it? How, how oh, do we unravel it, Jackie? Power. This, um, 
because our justice system is based on retribution. Our uh, our other most of our cultural systems are based on power over and under and in so many ways. I mean, the 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 victim or the perpetrator archetype is is just prevalent in our culture and we're still very much an adolescent culture. Uh, we haven't gone through the rites of initiation where we can learn to take self-responsibility and to do the work and we haven't had the teachers to say here's the work that you need to do. Uh, we're starting to well, over the last 50 years or so, we've got so many rich teachings available, so many sacred, holy books that we can access now for us to, to do that work in, in deep, profound ways for us to step up. But there's something about the allure of being a child to someone in power that says, look after me, which I really feel started to get dismantled over the um, the last couple of years when that bug was running rampant around the world. And um, we had that incredible level of manipulation of media and people. Uh, so that trust, that blind trust in governments to look after us, uh, or science to look after us has really started to alter. I, I really feel that the last couple of years have been a clarion call to go, okay, what do I hold to be true here? Where can I find a sense of balance in myself to be able to make a decision? Because I can't trust that. So the, the call to find our own inner responsibility um, and, to, and to step up. There's, there's also yeah. a really big sense of the over these last 50 odd years of the divine feminine rising, particularly since we've hit the twos, the 2000s, mm -hmm. of this um, great, greater potentiality that is arising up through the earth and down from the cosmos. I mean, we're also aware of the different uh, grids that are now being activated and the, the codes within us at long last are coming back online. It's like the, the veils are lifting between the worlds so that there is so much that we can access and so much that can now access us at, at last yeah. so that we can come into what is what is possible, what, yeah. is, what the human potential is, this, this whole ascension process. Yeah. Yeah. And those amazing beings that you were talking about that were coming in to teach us, you know, thousands of years ago and were seen as the hierarchy back then before religion and before, well, I suppose before um, the royals, the sort of British royals or before any of it, you know, there's so, there's so many incredible beings on the planet now in human form yes. that are so mundane. I, I've said to people, <laughs> having been talking to people for like 25 years uh, and met some amazing people, the most cosmic, most amazing people are the ones that look so normal. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so really mundane. And, yes. they have, you know, they like, yeah, that, that's what I found. And I was watching a Netflix thing the other night. I shouldn't be spooking that, but a show on television the, the other night on streaming called um, Love on the Spectrum about people on the spectrum finding love. And as I'm watching some of these beings that are on the spectrum in, in autism, Down syndrome and all sorts of things, I'm looking at these beings thinking, wow, look at the master soul inside that body that we would look like that the mainstream public would look at and say, oh, that poor dear, you know, they're on the spectrum. They can't get a job and they can't do what other people do, but there are these master souls inside bodies that that most human minds would judge, uh, 
yeah, teaching us about our divinity and yeah, unity and yeah, yes. teaching us that uh, diversity. Yeah, mm. you know, not the queen. I don't know. What do you think? Do you think that a master soul is inside a queen or a king's body, or do you think it's a soul that's still <laughs> learning or unfolding? What do you think? <laughs> oh, I think that's really very, very individual. I think the potential is there, but as we've seen throughout centuries, um, uh, they often don't come together at all, right. uh, except in in myth. Yeah. Uh, so I believe that that was once true, uh, and upholding. Actually, just going back to Celtic times, their system of governance, their system of of justice the Brecon laws, they were based on balance, not like us where this our system is based on retribution and power, uh, but on balance. If you did something big bad, then you would have to, you wouldn't be punished, but you would have to do something to restore balance in the land. So if you were queen of the land or king of the land, then your whole modus operandi was how do I maintain balance of this land, of the communities and the community of people, the community of, of creatures and the health of the land as a whole? How do we maintain and restore balance? And imagine, imagine if that was the key underlying tenet of, of our culture, the restoration of balance. And that, I guess, would also mean you'd have to recognise what might restore balance or what balance was in the first place. Yeah, exactly. Imagine. And I think that what we can do to empower this is to imagine, right? Instead of putting our powerful focus on what is and judging it and saying, this is wrong, this has got to change, is to use our powerful focus in that imagination process. Like imagine, imagine if our leaders were not in it for the, um, I met a politician here in Sydney. We were having some meetings during the beginning of, you know, like sort of beginning of the year of 2020 when things were going awry and we were having some secret meetings, <laughs> people that were bumping up against, you know, some mandates and um, politicians and teachers and restaurant owners and all sorts of people. But there was one that was working in parliament and we were talking about politicians and she said, you know, if they're not a career politician, like people go into politics to climb up the corporate ladder, get paid a good salary. They're career politicians. They're not in it to restore balance and harmony to humanity. <laughs> They're in it for their careers, you know, and, and I'm like, right, imagine if every politician was, you know, in it to, for service and not for their career and um, the bottom line, the salary and the position in parliament. And, yeah, imagine, imagine. That's what we yes. can do is keep imagining that, right? Absolutely, because our intention is so potent and particularly because the veils are so thin these days and we're in this window of time of this ascension process right now where what it is that we dream is so darn potent. It's Right. Oh, I, I really believe that where our vision goes and where our, our heart goes, it starts anchoring the potential, anchoring Absolutely. the possibility. Absolutely. Just like Cinderella in her hideous circumstances, she was dreaming of better days and it came because she stayed. Well, anyway, yeah. in, I don't know yeah. about the one where she killed the first stepmother. I haven't heard that story before. <laughs> but in the current yeah. version, mind you, there's a lot of Hollywood movies that have come out that have made her a badass, you know, like, I'm not going to put up with this shit. I'm gonna... <laughs> 
fight. Yes. And I'm yes. like, no, that's not the story. It's not about fighting the yes. corruption. It's about, yeah, it's about what we're talking about. It's about yes. staying, staying in commitment to your vision and evoking yes. the energy of what you want, like feeling good. Yeah, staying in commitment to the vision. Yes, there's a level of focus Mm-hmm. That is their steadfast focus. And isn't that truly so much about what Queen is, um, that that dignity, that focus, that mm-hmm. holding of self and listening for what is what is most true. Right. And what is most true uh, on, a, on a bigger level, not just for myself, because she became a queen. She didn't um, marry the carpenter down the road. She became the head of state. She became queen of the entire land. So how do we anchor that focus for the benefit of, of all that is? Yeah, that's right, that dignity, yeah. like in the face of um, trauma, not getting into panic and, you know, like watching Charles, there's a few visions of Charles getting really pissed off when his pen broke or something and oh, him yes. going, <laughs> He's not maintaining that dignity, is he? And people, that those things have just become viral. My girlfriend and I were yes. laughing about it. But, yeah, no matter what, no matter how much bad press she got and people said kick her out and all that sort of thing, yeah, she sort of maintained that dignity. We could all take a leaf out of that book, couldn't we? Yes, yes. There's a, a governance of herself that is really rich a there. She's not herself. swinging with every emotion and letting people know. She's respectful to everyone around her. She considered what will be the best thing here according to her law um, and then responded. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I was also, I think we were starting to chat about before was this, with this notion of queenship and for me that can tie back into some of the ancient Celtic law and also some of the other ancient cultures of the queen as sovereign and the sovereignty there, there is actually because we have this idea these days we're talking about I'm going to reclaim my sovereignty I'm going to be so, I'm, I'm sovereign of my body there's this sense of I'm going to find or have this thing called sovereignty which is relates to inner authority and presence and uh, but in the Celtic times for instance what they had as sovereignty was not divisible from the land so the queen the, or the goddess was sovereignty. She didn't have it. She was it. And she was the land. There, there was no division. And the other thing that also tied in with her was that she was a shapeshifter. She was animal. She was like Rhiannon was horse or she was um, raven or wolf or whoever and the land. She could choose in which guise to appear. So there's this uh, sense of no no division between self body of earth here body of earth uh, one response to the other so there's this being interwoven into the mandala of all life and a responsibility within that and a reciprocity of communication that comes on in as well and one of the the i guess thinking of the the celtic queens they were usually of the fae they were usually as in f-a-e not fairy as in little little tree fairies or nature spirits 
uh, the the Fae or the Shining Ones or the the She, which is written S I D H E, um, the She in Celtic terms were the the ones who descended to Earth. So there's stories about them that relate to them being uh, being Pleiadian. Um, and uh, that they were like the, the guardians of earth, that they were the ones, or some also refer to them as the, the higher, I don't really like the word higher as a hierarchy sense, but the, the, the greater elven race um, or the, these, uh, the ones who, who came down and, and taught. So the, the Fae helped maintain or, or rather, maybe not necessarily helped maintain, they did maintain the abundance and fertility of the land. So for me, there's a real link in understanding. I've sort of been tracing it through from the shining ones uh, because they were also the ones who helped maintain all the waterways uh, and the great and the great portals, the portals into uh, in different dimensions within the earth and some of the cosmic galactic portals as well. So we always had a uh, a feminine guardian there, like the maidens of the wells or the ladies of the lake, uh, the 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 shining ones who would guard these sacred gateways and they poured their abundance through them into the world which that also ties into the grail myths so they would either have a cauldron or a horn of plenty and anybody needing hospitality would go to them um, offer them their heart and respect and say I, I i need to eat i'm hungry and they'd say here you know what do you want okay you don't like this oh here you go try that uh and they would just shower there was this mutual love and respect and it was like um the the amount of vitality that flowed into the land the veil wasn't there what happened was that in the breaking of the fairy accord which was when the the ladies of the lake or the these guardians of the waterways the guardians of the mountain tops uh, or of the caves when they started being raped and murdered all bets were off the accord between humans and the shining ones and the fae was broken there was distrust. Uh, there was also the warring in, for example, in Ireland, the Malaysians that came in and one of these great galactic wars that um, led to the, for example, in Ireland, the Tour de Danan or the Shining Ones, uh, they uh, said, okay, we're out of here. And they either, they disappeared interdimensionally or into, uh, into the inner earth realms uh, and then some returned to where they came from. So there was what happened with that was, okay, what we've got to do is to um, protect these portals. We're going to create the veil. Earth will be kind of quarantined because it's you know in big trouble now. This um, patriarchal takeover is happening. What also happened at that time when the, uh, the guardians of these portals were killed is that all the dragons were slain as well. So that ties back into all of the dragon mythology. So and all of those ancient stories, for example, Tiamat, the great dragon mother, being chopped into parts. Um, the dragon, for example, at Delphi and, and Dodona being slain, which meant that the portals had no guardians whatsoever, which meant that there was easy travel um, intergalactically, into the earth, through dimensions. So by closing down all those portals, by creating the veil, it meant that 
more nefarious energies couldn't access them, but it also meant that humans couldn't access them, and it meant that that level of vitality couldn't flow into the land either. So here we are with the rising of the divine feminine, and so many of us uh, are working with how do we reconnect? Can we reconnect the fairy accord? How do we work with the fae? Uh, can, and there's many, many, many people around the world who are connecting with the she and working with these energies um, to support the vitality of the land and to support, well, what happens with these portals? Um, can we get them back online? Can we do that in a safe way? So there's this, a, a lot more stories that I'm hearing or dreams that I've been having. And I'll, I'll be curious if you've been getting dragon energy coming through the last decade as well. Yeah. Of that, what happens when the dragons reform, regenerate and wake up? What happens when they come back online um, for cosmically and through the earth? What happens when they start more actively moving the land once again and those serpents start um, reawakening? Reawakening, yeah. Reawakening the uh, ley lines and the energy and the and the and the codes within us. Yes, yeah, lots of lots of dragons. Like in the last couple of years in the inner sanctum, we've been talking about dragons a lot. Yes, and um, I've been working with some people. And as I shut my eyes, I see all these dragons. So that people are working with the dragon energy. And then when I was out with Broken Hill with you, um, Jane brought through that meditation of the pearl essence dragon. So the pearl essence has also been uh, an energy that's been with me basically since the beginning of the 2000s. I've got a good friend who is a fifth generation pearl dealer and I started tuning into the pearl essence energy around, you know, him being around pearls all the time and then the dragons and yeah, it's amazing. But what yes. you're saying, have you, have you written a book, Jackie? Do you have a book? No. Oh, my God. You have to write all this down in a book. I mean, God. Oh, I've got it recorded now. <laughs> all the summaries of this. It's a start, yeah. But yeah. Uh, what was I going to say? What you're saying is like confirmation of what I've heard. I've had someone on the show about eight times, Garnet Schulhauser, who is was a corporate lawyer for 36 years and then his spirit guide working him up and flies him around the cosmos and shows him all this stuff. And so he's met in his astral form. He's met the Fae. He's met Sasquatch. He's met do uh, mermaids. He's met these mystical creatures. And what what shocked me was that when I, because I knew that what he was saying, I mean, this conservative you know, corporate lawyer couldn't have made this stuff up. He didn't have the imagination. <laughs> I'm sorry, he just didn't. Yes. So I knew that what he was saying was absolutely truth. But he awakened my um understanding that all these mythical creatures are real yes and it's i'm not like, a different dimension oh my god yeah. and when he was talking to one of them i don't remember which i think it might have been a leprechaun type creature they said we love humanity and we'd love to be back you know uh, living amongst you again but there was a time where we had to we had to depart because you, the frequency the consciousness just got to bad and we didn't want to be a part of um just be a part of the human experience anymore in that you know you seeing us and so they faded out into a different dimension and um became myth and but they there was a time when we walked with them and spoke with them as we would with each other yeah so yeah you're just yes. confirming what he said it's great yes. to have that We've collaboration it is. I think one of the challenges for us is we've been so rooted in 3D, whereas mm -hmm. they've been rooted in 5D or, or other dimensions. And here we are now. 
undergoing what it takes to be able to shift consciousness and to support our, our body to be able to move frequency in a way that we can bring this together, together and we can come uh, into, into staying in some sort of form and meeting the fifth dimensional beings that are, yeah. that are there. Yeah, I think they're probably more fourth dimensional beings. But anyway, because they're, they're still in form. Many fifth dimensional beings aren't in form yes. so much as, as in light. But um, yeah, we're meeting them and I'm seeing them. It's amazing. I, I've said, um, I, I don't know if I've said it on the show or in the, in the sanctum, but, you know, my next door neighbor is a good Catholic girl. Italian Catholic girl. She loves her garden. She listens to me. I don't know how much she takes in because she's rooted in religion. Uh, she's got like PhD after PhD in religious studies. It doesn't actually help her personally when she's dealing with her own drama because she's always over at my place, you know, pouring out art. But one day she walked in the door mm-hmm. and this golden orb followed her in. And I saw it with my physical eyes and I just went, it was like, oh my God. And it had this light tail. Uh-huh. And, um, and, and she walked in and she saw me like, like looking behind her going like this and she said what are you looking at and I said this golden fairy followed you in the door like it was this gold light energy uh-huh. this light tail uh-huh. and went whoop around me like this and it was the most magnificent thing I'd never seen a golden one before <laughs> but you know when glorious. I asked like who is that what is that they said oh uh-huh. she's been in the garden and that's the that's the fairies working with her and I have to say her garden is magnificent uh-huh. yeah so even though we might not be yes. present to their help. Yes. Uh, she was so excited of all the things I've ever told her, the fact that I said there's any there's fairies. Oh, yeah, bless her. Yes. She's like, oh, you know, working with you when you do yes. your gardening. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, it doesn't matter what those uh, what limiting beliefs there might be, but right. when you're pouring love into something organic, right. then how can exactly. it not respond and how can you not respond to exactly. this growing, beautiful, rich, fairy-laden land yeah exactly so what do you suggest to people listening to that that can help the reconnection of dimensions and the re-establishment of the truth of these mythical characters coming back in, into our our conscious reality like the dragon energy can yes. you imagine seeing a real dragon i actually can i i love watching yes. the cgi ones on television you know like on yes. on, on movies what yes. what what can we do oh. jackie I feel the strongest things that we can do is to realize what our potential is and that anything that we conceive of is only based on a human construct. I often like to ask questions that bring us out in another way. I wonder what nature is dreaming at the moment. I wonder how we can open our hearts to drop into that dream of the land around us so that we can start conceiving of ourself, our small personality, our, this, this individual self as well as our collective self, what might be possible? Because when we start dreaming bigger and anchoring that vision by having a, seeing a gold fairy and, whoa, you just, just blew that woman's life, suddenly she's had confirmation of enchantment. And there's a, a bigger sense of herself now that is, is rooting in her beautiful garden. I think having rich conversations with each other and having um, getting rid of our fence posts of what it is we think we believe 
So having a kaleidoscope around perception, it's so easy to get caught in the, the field of anxiety. Uh, I, I, for me, I just keep coming back to, I don't want any level of my fear or anxiety feeding and fueling that that stuff out there so it's a call for me to okay what am i thinking and feeling um how ruminative or or victimish are my thoughts at the moment do i actually want to choose to do that so i keep coming back to okay what am i what am i doing where am i at where am i centered in myself so I, I practice having as many conversations as I can in playful ways and and heartful ways I, I think it's it's through the heart and through the body I think the call of this time Karen of, of these 2000s is so much about embodiment and anchoring in through here because it's through the body that we've got access to source it's through the body we've got access to shape-shifting with these frequencies of potential so much in the in the previous millennia was about transcendence and going out to channel to communicate this is about going in and doing it via via the body because I really believe that as humans we can do stuff that that angels can't that these other beings can't that there's something that is so precious of why there are humans on this planet why earth was created partially in the first place was what might happen if the awareness of unity can exist in form what can happen when that awareness, that consciousness is in the most beautiful planet that we could possibly imagine? How might that come together and live? And imagine, imagine what that will do for the entire galaxy of a planet with a consciousness of unity existing in this space with, with loving humans. And I really believe that the invitation of the queen archetype is for all of us to develop that deep innate sense of, of feminine sovereignty, which is at one with the land in recognition of self and connected with, with beloved and with the sense of the beloved in everything. Oh, yes, that's my vision. <laughs> I just just let that sink in. Yeah. What can happen when the quality of unity exists in physical form? Yeah. Exactly. Having a physical body. You know, so many light workers say to me, I came to earth because I heard Mother Gaia's call. And you know, one of uh, one of my friends was very unhappy with her physical body because she was not the classic sort of archetypal you know model shape you know she was overweight as many as many of us are and she really disliked that because she was buying into the collective you know conditioning that beauty is thin and um i just reminded her one day that the body that she wears is the earth you know if she's come to serve the earth serving her body is actually serving the earth because it's made up of the same chemical composition i mean we come from the earth we go back to the earth our physical bodies do and so we're literally wearing the earth aren't we in our physical form yeah, we are what a yeah. great way of, of putting it yes yeah. I mean, how can we truly care for for nature if if we're self-loathing right 
how can we extend a level of care when there's when there's that in our being and isn't that just one of the the biggest things like the the shame or the low self-esteem that is is anchored right in so many of us Mm. exactly Yeah. yeah So to uh, deliver our, our service to her is to love our physical form as much as we love the earth, yeah. Mm. And there are fairies of the body too, right? I see them all the time, just like <laughs> there are fairies of the plants, there are fairies of the yes. body. Yes. Uh, yeah, that are serving that are serving the body. Um, what mm. did Tannis call them? The, the body elementals, she called them, Tannis Halliwell, who's a beautiful Canadian teacher. Oh, you'd love her. I should introduce her, her to up. you gals. Um, she's amazing. Love Tannis. Oh, darling one. You, you've got to put all this in a book, honestly. It's got to be a book. It's yes. such a delight and a pleasure oh, to speak likewise. with you today. And uh, there's lots more to say. But I think we'll leave it there, just um, that message of embodying unity in physical form. Yeah. Uh, yeah, the angels can do so much, but without a physical form, uh, they don't have as much impact in this physical dimension as someone who embodies those same frequencies wearing that physical form. Yeah, that that, yes. that frequency for physicality. Yeah. And imagine if we could all fully allowing the level of support that they're offering. Mm -hmm. Imagine. Imagine. Yeah. Yeah. Staying connected to the help that's provided. Yeah. Yes. Oh, beautiful one. Thank you so much. Pleasure talking to you. And, um, yeah, I'd love to hear any comments from anyone because I feel it's so rich to be able to extend these conversations. Yeah. Well, let's do it again. I'll get you into the Inner Sanctum, which is the group, sure. you know, where you can have where we can have that interactive conversation with the people that are joining us on the group and um, and keep the conversation going next year. And, um, yeah, more from Jackie Bushel. <laughs> more oh, from Jackie Bushel. Thank you for all that you do, Karen. You're a you're a gorgeous gem. Oh, darling one, so are you. Thank you. And thank you so much for looking after us all so beautifully. As I said, Jackie was the um, chef was the cook. <laughs> for our, our, our week in the desert. And then, and then you were teaching, and then that's right. Um, and then Jane, Jane cooked for mine. Chef. We've got a few different hats. <laughs> got a few different hats, but it was funny. I was having a chat to the, oh, her name escapes me as I say, me and names, they slip out of my mind. The beautiful girl that had her birthday a couple of days before uh, before me, and oh, you, yes, and she was saying how she couldn't be a vegetarian or a vegan because she just likes her meat too much. And then you made the most delicious vegan. Oh, I did the thing. Yes, <laughs> yes. And so both of us happy birthday, everyone. Said, and I thought that was so funny. He was telling me the day before that she, there's no way she could be a vegetarian or a vegan. And then this beautiful cat came. Out. <laughs> That was vegan. It was so funny. Oh, we just keep turning the kaleidoscope, don't we? Isn't don't it we? funny what we get attached to? Yeah, exactly. Oh, but I the know. cakes were amazing. I tell you what, I could come out and get some cooking lessons from you. And come on out anytime. Yeah, on the vegan, you made vegan like with cashews. You made vegan butter and vegan lasagna. Vegan lasagna oh. and all sorts of things. You would, yeah, you're a better vegan cook than me. And I'm the one who's you're like I don't actually call myself a vegan. I call myself a vegan, which is most 
mostly vegan because I do eat things that are not on the yeah. vegan spectrum, but yeah. um, I do my best. I do my best because I do believe that that's in service to the, the planet actually. Yes, and um, and also just listening to what's in service to your body. Mm-hmm. And I know my personal um, needs changed enormously once I hit menopause and mm-hmm. I had to choose, okay, do I keep my health or do I choose to eat organic beef um, here and there? And keep my blood levels up after three years of desperately trying and putting iron down every through every route yeah listening to how how your body's functioning Mm, exactly Um, yeah thank thank you you. again darling thanks Mm. again okay bye how gorgeous it was to speak with Jackie about all those things. I hope you got a lot out of that. I know I did. It's interesting that we just bip along and we see things in the mainstream media about things that happen in the world, but we don't really think about how it's impacting us collectively through the archetypal, archetypical structures and what it all means. And Jackie thinks so deeply about all this, um, bringing in those, the elemental world, the, the nature kingdom and the ET kingdom, you know, it's all, we're all connected. It's all connected. What an amazing conversation. I hope she writes a book about it. Honestly, there's so much more to that conversation than the two of us had today. It would be gorgeous to read more about how she's weaving it all together. Mm. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Hope you enjoyed that. What did you think? I'd love to hear your comments uh, about what you think about what's been happening globally in our world and and um, as we move into a new experience. A few timelines on offer, I feel. There will definitely be some timelines where there will be more of the same as we keep focusing on what is and recreating it and recreating it. But the ones that don't keep focusing on what is and and keep focusing, keep your focus and your powerful attention on a new way of living where um, governance and leadership is more unified and communal rather than hierarchical and um, balanced, uh, as she said. And uh, as we keep dreaming of that, we'll create it. As we keep feeling as if it is happening, like where's the balance in your own life now? Where is the governance within yourself like where is your sovereignty are you looking outside yourself for people to tell you what to do or are you listening to the inner wisdom within and uh you know like with the queen i remember learning this as a girl and finding this really fascinating the reason that she says we i don't know if she said it later in life but we i i remember asking my father why does the queen say we and we stands for God and I because she is in supposedly in constant communication with God. And so when she speaks, she's speaking for God. Apparently, that's how it went. I remember hearing that when I was a, a girl. And I'm like, oh, right. But really, that's that's all of us. That's not just the queen. It's like we're all an extension of that magnificent energy that we have labeled God. And so we're all in communion with that same brilliance and divinity within us all the time. And so we could all do the royal wave and say, we, (laughs) we think this and we think that, me and the mob, we think this, me and God. Yeah, me and my higher self. What is you and your higher self? Because there is the two of us, isn't there? There's the ego self who wants to divide and separate and the higher self who wants to unify. And together we come together in human form and play this role called called me, called us, called hum, humanity. How are you playing the game? You and God, we, we. We think this and we think that. 
Yeah, taking back your sovereignty, taking back your um, your queendom, your kingdom, the royal within you. Mm, interesting if we all felt as royal as the royals. Imagine a world where everyone felt like that, that they were communing with God. Mm. Beautiful. Keep keep dreaming. Keep dreaming, everybody. Keep dreaming. <laughs> so this weekend in the Inner Sanctum, a couple of days away from now, we're having a group meeting, one of the tribe. Hopefully she won't chicken out. She might chicken out, so I won't say her name publicly, but she's coming on to do some channeling for us because she's amazing at it, <laughs> really amazing. She's been working in a service industry all her life, the only female in an all-male service industry, which, yeah, it's, it's her, her story is fascinating. She's very shy to share it, uh, but hopefully she won't chicken out and she'll come on and do a little bit of channeling. We can quiz her because she's so good at it, but she doesn't do it. And I think that when you've got a group of people supporting you and you can, you know, ask her questions and listen to her response, you get, you cement that actually this is really happening rather than thinking, am I just making all this stuff up? Because this is where we go. I've got the the spirit guides course running at the moment. And this is the stuff that we're discussing because we're all channeling source energy or divine guidance or exalted wisdom. We all have connection to our guides and our divinity all the time. And we're all receiving messages in a various ways, either through inspiration or impulse. You know, we get impulse to act and we have no idea why, but I'm going to go there. I'm going to go to that shop instead of that shop. I don't know why. And then you bump into somebody that needed to have that conversation with you. So we're receiving it through impulse. We're receiving it through feeling. We're receiving it through visions and through, you know, thoughts in our heads. And sometimes we can hear, you know, thoughts like look sounds like someone speaking to you as bill bennett did when you know years ago he was driving to the airport speeding and the voice in his head said slow down and he argued with the voice and said no i'm going to be late i need to speed up and the voice screamed at him slow down so he did and a big semi-trailer went through an intersection had he not slowed down he would have been wiped out made a whole documentary about it called pgs intuition is your personal guidance system so we're all guided all the time are we listening and it's great when you can actually utilize the group and you know speak your guidance for others and get that confirmation that what you're receiving is actually benefiting you and others so that's what we're going to do in the group as well as you know connect and chat this week in the inner sanctum so if you want to join you know sign up and i'll send you the link have I sent her? I'm, I'm sending the link out today after this, after I finish recording this, I'll be sending the link out to, it's free to join. I do appreciate any donations if you, you know, enjoying the shows or if you're enjoying the groups. Uh, it used to be by subscription, the Inner Sanctum, but I threw it open for people to join. Funnily enough, now that it's sort of free or by donation, less people are joining than when it was subscription, which I find really interesting how money brings commitment. When you pay for something, you show up, but when it's free, it's like, Hundreds of people are on the e email list. Thousands are on my other email list, but the Inner Sanctum email list is only hundreds at the moment who said, yes, I definitely want to join, but a handful of people actually show up. <laughs> so maybe you'd like to show up this weekend. I invite you. All right, I'm going to go. Thanks again for listening and watching and sharing the shows. Loved this conversation with Jackie. She's just a gem, an absolute gem. And check out the book Awakened by Death if you haven't already. Big love to all of you. Bye for now.